I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. The Last Factor Podcast. What is up, College Across fans? You're watching episode 245 of the Lax Factor podcast. I'm your host, Ted Hoost, and today we're going to recap the Duke and Syracuse game from Sunday. We're going to talk quickly about how Virginia beat Hopkins, probably should have ripped Hopkins up, but due to some goalie difficulties on the day, it ended up being a little bit closer of a game than we assumed. And then I'm going to preview a metric crap ton of games for this weekend. Before I get into that, as always, be sure to like, subscribe. If you're an audio listener, share the crap out of the podcast with your friends. Hit me up on social media with games that you would like me to cover, with questions that you would like to ask. And as always, if you want to support us, you can go to laxfactor.com. Do two things there. You can buy a t-shirt, rando lacrosse t-shirt that has nothing to do with the podcast like these, or you can buy a podcast-related t-shirt and rep the podcast, or if you need team gear, if you are if you want to kill two birds with one stone, support the podcast while also outfitting your team in dope American-designed and made lacrosse uniforms, practice jerseys, reversibles, pennies, shorts, whatever you call them, uh, you can go to laxfactor.com, get a quote for your team gear needs, and I'll help you out there as well. Now I'm going to shut up, and we're going to dive right into this uh, Syracuse and Duke game. Uh, this Sunday evening ACC matchup held at the Carrier Dome. Uh, this easily held up to the Maryland and uh, Notre Dame game that was uh, played on Saturday. That one needed three OTs to get to the winner. This one just needed one overtime. Syracuse held a lead through most of the game leading into the third quarter when Duke went on a six-goal run that flipped a 10-7 Syracuse lead into a 12-10 Duke lead. After Joey Spelina got his first goal of the game, getting the orange back to within a goal, and by doing so, what he had to do was literally, like, you know, Brower is filthy. Brower bottled the, the freshman up, and on Spelina's lone goal, he had to drive hard up that right side, get himself in that five and five spot, and then shoot it around him. It was a hard-earned goal. Brower was playing solid defense through the whole thing. They probably should have sent help once he sat down in that five and five region, but he Got Syracuse back to within a goal. Dyson Williams answered back. I think it was the rebound goal that you're going to see that he scored that put Duke back up by two. And then things got interesting. Cole Kirst, he scored his fourth goal of the game, a straight-up bull dodge to the middle of the field that allowed him to get his hands free and put one past Helm. And then Syracuse would have a man-up opportunity about a minute or so later that would only require four seconds of that man-up play to result in a Finn Thompson goal, quick stick, on the doorstep, ditched, uh, dished by Owen Hiltz. All of that resulted in overtime, where Will Mark was forced to continue standing on his head. Mark made a couple of saves in overtime that allowed Syracuse a chance at winning, but a questionable shot out of the orange resulted in Duke getting another possession, and freshman Charles Balsamo busted a speed dodge down the right alley and beat Mark high for the W. A lot of people hated that shot. A lot of people hated the fact Gate didn't take a timeout, and I kind of rewatched the game. I didn't like it. I thought a timeout would have been better. I thought at that point, maybe giving the ball the ball to Cole Kirst had the hot hand. Give the ball to your 22, who proved that even while being bottled up, he could still get himself free when he needed to. One shot, one goal out of Spelina. 
I, I didn't like the possession overall, but uh, someone who I respect greatly on Twitter, and I'm forgetting who chirped it, uh, might have been Coach Jack or somebody like that on Twitter, had stated that he watched that play, and I mean, it was a shot to the short side that he was trying to get off to sneak it past the goalie, and that it almost went in. So I'm not going to chirp anybody in the shot. I'm not going to chirp Gate for not taking the timeout. They had a timeout prior and I mean, I'm sure they talked about this. They knew what they were trying to do offensively, and they kind of they had a settled look at the cage. The shot just didn't go in, even if we don't like the shot that he took. Okay, so now we go to overtime, and uh, uh, we we finished overtime here. It was a huge win for Duke, and I think that one of the guys we got to talk about here, and we got to talk about him all the time for Duke here, is Jake Naso. As expected, he destroyed the player formerly known as Richie USA, who will now be known as Syracuse's Fogo. Naso went 21 of 30 at the dot with 12 ground balls. Winning faceoffs is obviously going to be a problem. We've been saying it all along, but uh, uh, Syracuse's Fogo is sitting at 41%. Thank God we have a goalie that has a save percentage above 60% at this point because we'd be hurting if we didn't. Luckily, Will Mark has been a monster for the Orange, and he's erased some of the misery they're experiencing by sucking at the faceoff dot. Mark made 22 saves on the day and without his effort Syracuse would have gotten absolutely thrashed in this game yes Duke hit literally I think the official count in this game was one million pipes in this game a lot of people are like well if Duke didn't hit those pipes it would have been a different game listen dudes don't hit a million pipes in a game without that goalie partly being to blame here you're trying to ping corners and when you've got a goalie who's taken up the entire portion of the middle of that net, it's going to make guys get a little too fine with their shots, and then you'd end up having guys miss the cage. You end up having teams shoot poorly. It's it's part of the psychology of a goalie. Now, I'm not. It, it also could have just been a case of the yips. Once you hit those first three pipes, then the yips kick in, and you hit it. Now, whatever. I don't care. Mark is incredible. And he's been giving teams problems all year. 72.2% against Vermont, 66.7% against Albany, 75% against Holy Cross, 54.5% against Maryland, 47.2% against UNC. That was a rough one, and then that was his only down game thus far this year. And then he's 61.6% last night, or Sunday night, against Duke. He's got a 596 save percentage thus far, and like I said, thank God, because the Fogo is only winning 41.2% of the draws so far this season. For Duke, Brennan O'Neill was incredible. Four goals, two assists. I think he had about 14 shots, a bunch of pipes. Charles Balsamo, the freshman. Tommy Schelling, the transfer, were both 2-1. and one. Garrett Ledman and Dyson Williams, two goals. Jake Naso, 21-30 with 12 GBs. Wilhelm, 11 saves versus 13 goals against. For Syracuse, it was Cole Kirst was 4-1. and one. That's his breakout game. Jackson Burtwistle, three goals. Hiltz and Spalina, one and two each. Alex Simmons finally scored himself a couple of goals. He's been shooting the ball terribly. Got a couple of good shot, uh, good looks and stuck them both here in this game. He was 2-1. and one. And then, like I said, Will Mark, 22 saves versus 14 goals against. A hell of a game for him. Syracuse has Johns Hopkins next. We're going to preview that later in, in, a, in a pretty much must-win for Syracuse if they're going to have any shot at all at winning the NCAA tournament. I think literally for Syracuse, this game against Hopkins on Saturday is a playoff game for them at this stage because they have to pick up a a quality non-conference win because the wins that they've got so far aren't going to do it. All right, I digress. I'm not going to talk about this one a ton, but let's talk about it quickly. The reality in this game, Virginia goes up by six. 
take a quick 6-0 lead early in the second quarter. Hopkins does chirp back. They get a few shots. They score a few goals. But, you know, at no point was the outcome of this game in question. Virginia rolled in this one. Now, what I believe the story was in this game was Matthew Nunes did not have his best day. He makes nine saves against 13 goals against. I saw someone on Twitter talk about how he played a travesty of a game. I don't think that's the case. So at least not statistically, that wouldn't say that. You could say Tim Marcille had a rougher game, but then again, he's playing against the Virginia offense. So in this game, it came down to the fact that neither goalie stood on their head and it just came down to, you know, who's got the more powerful offense. And in the end, it ended up being Virginia. Xander Dixon goes for six goals. Patrick McIntosh start, gets his first start uh, for an injured Peyton Cormier. He goes for six goals off seven shots. I was originally, well, I watched the game, but I wasn't paying close attention because I was writing this podcast and I was originally thinking maybe some of Virginia's offensive woes were due to Cormier not being in the lineup, but obviously McIntosh did uh, extremely well uh, spelling him. Griffin shuts four and two. Thomas McConvey one and three. Schellenberger once again quiet on the point front. He was zero and three, and it. I I'm almost wondering is he injured? Is there something up? Because I've noticed that he on his dodges he is not getting separation as he used to, and I'm wondering what that's all about because he has been bottled up and hasn't put up a, a boatload of points. I've been defending him. I've been saying he doesn't really need to with this offense the way it's clicking. He, it, it you know I feel like he'd almost have to force things. A little bit too much to get his because defenses are trying to key a little bit on him. Why not let everybody around him feast? And feast is what feasting is exactly what they've been doing around him. So I think that's fine. And then in terms of Hopkins, once again, Angelus, uh, Angelus, I call him Angelus. I have been all along. If he if he gets bottled up and is quiet, Hopkins isn't going to be able to keep pace completely. And Duke did a very good job against him. Once again, you got Brower, you got some really good defenders on this Duke team. So yeah. Not a, not a great game. It, the score, I think, was a little bit closer than how it felt while you were watching it in the end. But credit to Hopkins for continuing to fight. They, they haven't given up at all in a game this year. And in the games they've won, they've been very good. In the games they've lost, they haven't been terrible. So I think that that's key. Like last year as a Syracuse fan, in the game Syracuse won, hey, that was dope. And the games that they lost, every single one of them was, an, was absolute misery. This one I don't think was the case. So let's move on from that, though. Let's get into our previews here now because we got a bunch of good games to talk about. First one, I'm going to talk about this. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you'll hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. This is Friday night's matchup. We have number six Loyola versus number five Duke. Duke coming into this one five and one. Loyola coming into it at four and one. Now in this matchup, we're going to see Duke's offense do battle with one of the best defensive units so far this season in Loyola. Loyola's defense, they're anchored by Matt Hughes, 10 cost turnovers, 21 GBs, and Diego Roman, an LSM that has seven cost turnovers and eight GBs. Cam Wires, I think he's the big cat defender on that side of the ball, but teams aren't stupid enough to try to regularly test him, so he's coming in with a more modest 
six cause turnovers on the day. What I'm a fan of thus far with Loyola, though, is that rope unit. We got Mustang Sally, and we've got uh, Peyton Rizanka that have been playing very well at short stick de defensive midfield for Loyola as well. So from a defensive perspective, they put it all together overall. Duke's defensive crew, they're not some they're not a group that you can ignore. Kenny Brower is a lockdown level defender. Wilson Stevenson is shows he can be physical and guard some top guys, although I think he struggled a little bit more against Syracuse. And then they got a guy like Tyler Carpenter at LSM who can both guard midfielders and attackmen. He spent a little bit of time down at close. Uh, but he can get up and down the field and transition with the best of them. He's a ground ball magnet. So Duke's defense, not bad at all. Duke's offense, they've scored 14 goals in each of their last three outings. They've won those three games by a combined total of four goals, all in, uh, like all in, and uh, they needed overtime twice to beat Denver and Syracuse. Now, Brennan O'Neill has been on an absolute warpath. His stat line is semi-gross. Thus far, he's put up the following in each of Duke's first six games. Seven points against Bellarmine, four points against High Point, five goals versus Jacksonville in their only loss, seven points against Denver, including the game-tying and the game-winning goal, five points against Penn, six points against Syracuse. He has 19 goals, 15 helpers on the season for 34 points with a 36% shooting percentage, shooting the ball well. Now, this may sound crazy after I just get done hyping up O'Neal, but I still think Duke's most important player, especially for ACC play at this point, is going to continue to be Jake Naso at the face Dot. He's sitting at 64% thus far this season with over 100 wins already and 60 GBs. He has two goals, two helpers off just six shots. His down game that he's had thus far it was a 50% outing against Alex Stathakis in Denver. They still win that game. He's been above 61% in every other game uh, he's played this season, uh, and he's been above 70% three times this season. Loyola, in terms of goaltenders, they hold the edge. Wilhelm's been solid. He's at 54% in net for Duke, but Luke Stout has been a killer for Loyola, stopping 63% of the shots he's faced. Stout has been at or above 57% in every outing so far this year, and he had 19 saves in Loyola's season-opening win over, win over the Terps. That was good for a 73% save percentage. I think this game comes down to the face-off dot and Luke Stout. Naso is going to probably win the bulk of the face-offs. If Stout can, you know, stop more shots than uh, he faces overall, I think that can kind of equalize this game, and it's really going to come down to a battle between the Duke offense and the Loyola defense, and despite the fact the Greyhounds defense is highly skilled and they have depth in that arena, I think Duke's the best offensive team they've faced thus far this season, and I think it's going to be a very difficult outing for that Loyola defense. Uh, my prediction, Duke in the end by three to five goals. I think they'll you know, end up slow burning themselves to that three to five goal victory. Next one. I want to talk about number 19, Denver, versus number 11, Yale. Yale coming in at 2-1. and one. Denver is at 3-2. and two. Now, Denver's riding high off that one-goal win over North Carolina on the road, while Yale was able to put the big hurt on UMass also on the road. So both teams have lost some games, but bouncing back, playing well at this moment. Now, Alex Stathakis, he's going to be the deciding factor in how this game goes. I think he's one of the more capable face-off guys in the country. Denver has issues defensively and in cage, so he's going to need to play like his typical self overall 
Somewhere in the area, 63 to 70% of the draws he takes, he's going to have to win. For Yale, it's going to be all about letting the kids do their thing. It's been great to see teams that get, that are getting high-quality production out of freshmen and sophomores, and Yale, few teams are getting as much production out of their freshmen and sophomores as Yale has thus far. More specifically for Yale this year, it's the sophomores. Sophomore Chris Lyons is currently tied with grizzled vet Matt Brandau with 18 points. Lyons, a true goal hawk. The dude, and when I say goal hawk, Usually you're like talking maybe 10 goals to every assist, maybe even 15 goals to every assist. Lions stat line at this point, 18 points, 18 goals. Now Brandau's the 50-50 guy. He's nine goals, nine helpers overall. Between those two guys and then sophomores, Leo Johnson, he's five and five. Carson Cool is three and five. Brad Sharps, two and three. Yale is leaning heavily on some of these sophomores here this season for offensive production. And thus far, They've delivered, albeit, you know, they had one rough outing so far in that loss to, who was the loss to? It was the loss to Penn State, I think. Uh, Yale, they have the edge in cage. Jared Paquette has been solid with a 600 save percentage so far. Denver's had issues. They've played both of their keepers. The veteran Jack Thompson's been shaky. Malcolm Kleban gets the start last week. He, uh, he played a little bit better than Thompson, and I think he's played in multiple games, and overall he's played a little bit better. He's got a 51% save percentage, so I'm wondering if you'll see him playing moving forward or if they'll continue to go with the veteran Thompson. Uh, in the end, I think Yale's going to be more physical. I think they're going to be more capable uh, from a skills perspective on both sides of the field. I think they have a little bit more depth, and uh, despite the fact that Stathakis is probably going to win the bulk of the draws, I think Yale's still going to be able to pull out the W in the end. My prediction, Yale by two to four goals. I try to scroll past those ads so you guys don't have to look at them. Uh, number three, Penn State against number – or no, number eight, Penn State against number three, Cornell. Cornell coming in undefeated. Penn State coming in at 4-1. and one. Now, after losing to Villanova in their second game of the season, Penn State dropped to 1-1. One and one. I was wondering, hey – is Penn State going to be kind of the basement of the Big Ten again? Are they going to struggle again this season? Uh, since that loss, they've rattled off three straight wins against Stony Brook, Yale, and Penn. Some quality teams there. The Nittany Lions are playing some good lacrosse at the moment thanks to TJ Malone. He's 14-7. and seven. Matt Trainer's 14-5. and five. Chris Jordan and Jack Trainer have each put up 16 points as well, so their depth in scoring has been solid. That was something they lacked the last two seasons. At the faceoff dot, both Chase Mullins and Hudson Bonner winning 54% of their draws, and goalie Jack, I never remember how to pronounce his name, Frakion, Frasion, he's been decent as well, also posting a 54% stat line for his save percentage. Penn State isn't doing any one thing incredible. What they're doing, though, is everything at a, at a more than, a, you know, above average rate, and they're playing consistent lacrosse, and that has helped them get to this 4-1 record overall so far. For Cornell, I don't think their wins are as impressive as the th as two at least of the wins that Penn State has overall. But they, uh, uh, except for that sixteen thirteen win over Ohio State last weekend, they handled Hobart and Lehigh, but they played U Albany a little tighter than they would have wanted to in that opening uh, in that opening game. Important for the Big Red, they've been playing cleaner and cleaner as the season has wore on. They didn't look great offensively against Albany. Struggled a little bit defensively, I'd argue, also. But follow that up. But they followed that up with a very good game against Lehigh, holding Lehigh to just five goals, and now they're playing a little bit better with that sixteen thirteen team went over Ohio State. They did a good job of uh, bottling up Jack Myers and company. Now, my question for Cornell, 
What would their defense look like against a top offense like Ohio State? And the answer was they look good overall. I give the edge to Cornell's offense over the Penn State defense, mostly because C.J. Kirst is going to give everyone he faces problems all year. The goalie battle, I think, is pretty much deadlocked, and I think Penn State has a slight edge at the faceoff dot. I think overall this should be a pretty competitive game, but I'm once again thinking Cornell, they're going to slow burn this to a three to five goal win. That is my prediction. I have spoken. Richmond against the number 20 Georgetown. Georgetown starts 0-3. They pull out that one win, baby, and they eke themselves into the top 20 again. A lot of people are going to chirp, hey, what the hell are they doing at 20th in the country uh, while sitting at 1-3? The reality here is when you look at who they lost, I mean, they have played nobody Nothing short of killers thus far. Hopkins, that one they may want back. But Hopkins, once again, not a bad team at all in a ranked team. Penn was highly ranked when they beat them. Notre Dame, they lose to Notre Dame. No one's mad at that, sitting at two. They come in and they beat Princeton. That's a game they should have won, and they did. So now they've got Richmond, High Point, Lehigh. I think these are all winnable games for them, and I think you can see them flip this 0-3 into potentially a four-game winning streak and end up sitting at 4-3, and but they got to win those games. They can't just talk. We can't just talk about it. They actually have to go out and do it. All right, so they got things rolling against Princeton, as I said, offensively. They've had issues getting their entire offense involved in a game, and against the Tigers on Saturday, they finally got over that issue and got some key guys involved. Brian Minikis, the Colgate transfer, he puts up three goals and two helpers. He's kind of been contributing, but he had a breakout game here. Uh, where did I go? Oh, Jacob Kelly, the UNC transfer that had done very little up to that point. He had a goal and two helpers. Tucker Dordovic has been playing... Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo Concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline well for them thus far and uh, Declan McDermott they each had or uh, what was it Declan Declan I think someone told me it's not Declan it's Declan so I'm going to start calling him Declan McDermott uh, they both put up three goals now I think that getting McDermott involved is the biggest takeaway from this game he had uh, no points over the first two games that Georgetown lost. He's put up three points in each of the last two games for Georgetown, and I think that's a very good sign. McDermott was a huge factor in their success last year, and the fact that he went the first two games scoreless I think was indicative that they had an offensive flow problem. You can't have your, your what was he, the third or fourth leading scorer from last year's team coming in and having no points over the first two games, and I think that was key. Dylan Hess, I think they also have to get involved. I think they need to do a better job of getting TJ Haley involved, but at least some of the transfers all played well in this win, and uh, at least now we got McDermott playing well. Let's just try to continue to get more guys involved overall. The Hoyas, they're going to be fine defensively. I don't think they played great defensively overall, but I think the offensive struggles have played into that a little bit because you get a little bit desperate for trying to get stops when you're getting stops, but then your offense isn't doing their job on that side of the ball. So I think that as the offense continues to play better, I think the defensive numbers are going to be a little bit better here overall. They were able to hold Princeton to 10 goals on Saturday and only gave up 9 to Penn in their loss the weekend before. So I think if they can get that crap figured out on offense, everything on D will eventually 
eventually work itself out. They have depth, talent, a couple of the best defenders in the country. In cage, Richmond's having a really rough go with uh, Zach Veek sitting at 45%. Georgetown had been starting Danny Hinks, the Dartmouth transfer thus far. But after going 51% over their first three games, all losses, they went with Michael Scarfenberger, which I said that sounds like something from Thundercats. On Saturday against Princeton, he made 18 saves against 12 goals against, so I suspect we'll see him start again in Richmond, unless the only reason Hinks wasn't starting uh, against uh, Princeton was maybe an injury. But I, I bet you that wasn't the case. We'll see. I think the Hoyas, I think they're going to keep rolling. I think they pick up another win. I think they improve to 2-3. and three. My prediction, Georgetown, by a margin in this one, I think they'll end up slow-burning this to 5 to a five to seven goal victory overall. All right. Next game we got to talk about number 14, Princeton against number seven, Rutgers. Rutgers coming in at five and one, Princeton at two and two. Now Princeton's going to be looking to rebound against this in-state rival on the road on Saturday after losing two straight to Maryland and Georgetown. Now I'll say it one more time and I won't continue to shit on Princeton any longer. Their season rankings thus far, I think, were definitely the product of their early success, of their success a season ago. And they haven't delivered since they've been given those rankings. They struggled in a win over Manhattan before losing to Maryland by a margin and then Georgetown by three goals. They've struggled partly because some of their offensive weapons have been struggling. Alex Slusher was their second leading scorer a season ago. He's only got three goals and nine helpers in four games so far. Sam English is one and eight. Uh, that's that's off pace for him. Jack Stevens or Jake Stevens six and one. I think that's about on pace, but I think they'd like a few more out of him as well. They're going to need to get more involved overall. Colt. Maxi has been very good thus far. Their leading score of 15 goals, three helpers, but I don't think anyone expected that to be the case at this stage was for him to be the leading scorer. Not that that's bad. Nobody cares. I mean, he's putting up points. Giddy up. But I think they need some of those other guys to pick it up offensively a little bit. For Rutgers, Ross Scott, 19 and 7. He's been getting a lot of help on offense from guys like Brian Cameron, who's 17 and 7, Dante Kula, 16 and 5 and beyond. So Rutgers is starting to get scoring all the way down that roster now. That's important. Uh, Shane Knobloch is 6 and 8. Uh, Jack uh, Amon is 13 and 3. David Sprock, 4 and 1. Let's get Sprock a little bit more involved. Uh, overall, I think Rutgers can only go as far as goaltender Kyle Mullen, the Harvard transfer, is going to carry them. He struggled in their loss to Army. He didn't look great last weekend against Utah. When he's good, he's very good, as, as, as exemplified in his 73% outing, outing in a win over Loyola. But Rutgers needs him to be his best self on Saturday against a hungry and semi-desperate Princeton squad that's going to be looking not only to beat an in-state rival, but they're also going to be looking to pick up a quality non-conference win because they're going to need it. Not looking like Princeton is going to end up being one of the favorites to win the Ivy, and they'll have to build a resume to get an at-large bid. Oh, man, sorry. My prediction, Rutgers by one to three goals or so. I think it'll be a very good game. Next one we got to talk about here. Number nine, Ohio State, sitting at three and two, taking on number two, Notre Dame in in South Bend. Notre Dame is sitting at four and zero. Now I expect this to be another really good matchup and another really good test for Notre Dame. Ohio State's defense is built similar to Maryland's. They have Bobby Van Buren, three cost turnovers, nine GBs, and Marcus Hudgens, six cost turnovers, seven GBs. They anchor their defense. Skyler Wallend has been serviceable in cage against some pretty stiff competition thus far. Now, despite the star power on defense, Ohio State wasn't able to contain C.J. Curse last weekend. He goes four and one in Ohio State's loss to Cornell. 
And Cornell was playing without Long as well on attack, so they had they were shuffling some guys in, and Cornell's offense did a very good job uh, against that Ohio State defense. I think Notre Dame's offense is going to have spurts of trouble, you know, trying to adjust to these filthy poles mixed with spurts of playing like fucking animals also at the same time. I think that the Buckeyes can hang. I think that they're going to be able to play tough. I think you're going to see something similar maybe to the Virginia outing, but I, you know, I don't know. In the end, I, I think that Virginia does have a better – three group uh, three man group of attackmen overall the Notre Dame does partly because Nelson's not there playing that third attack spot and he did a great job last year so I the matchup I think is similar but I think that we might even see Notre Dame beat Ohio State by a larger margin than three in the end Liam Entman the better the better between the two goalies uh for Notre Dame and uh Let's see here. Uh, but defensively, they got Chris Conlon. Notre Dame has Chris Conlon on defense. Chris Fake. Brian Tevlin's running around on defense. He's been uh, the season's most versatile player thus far, uh, getting time on offense, defense, running with a long pole on man down, which is unheard of. Usually you give that short stick D midfielder or that utility player the shorty, and they play the short stick on that man up team. For them to, for them to be giving him a pole is saying a lot about his IQ. I think we see a good fight overall in this game. But by the end, I think the uh, I think the Irish are going to wear the Buckeyes out. I say prediction: Notre Dame by two to four goals. I wouldn't be surprised to see Notre Dame win by five or six goals. I wouldn't be surprised to see it be a one goal game. But I think two to four is kind of a safe spread for that one. Let us move on here. Number ten, Johns Hopkins. Uh, playing at the Dome against Syracuse. Now, you know I'll be on the edge of my couch uh, if I don't end up going up. I, I keep wanting to go up to the games. Last weekend, on my way out the door, daughter starts throwing up with the norovirus. My wife and I had dodged it up to this point. We said if, we, if neither of us get sick by this morning, we're probably both good. I'm recording this Wednesday morning. So we're probably both good. As I'm recording this, my wife is in bed, uh, not feeling well. So we may not have fully dodged it, and we may end up having to shit and puke our brains out. So that'll suck. Anyway, Syracuse coming off a heartbreaker against Duke, and they need a quality non-conference win badly. Their wins over Vermont and Albany, they're just not going to cut it. Uh, they proved that they can hang with anyone on Sunday after getting murked at the dot while riding on the shoulders of goaltender Will Mark. But how will they hold up against the Hopkins squad that's been through the ringer and came back on the other side sitting at four and three now? I had four and two at the time I wrote this, but now with that Virginia loss, they are now sitting at four and three. Whoops, let me put that in my notes. Boom, there we go. Uh, for Hopkins, they hold quality wins over number 12, Jacksonville, number 20, Georgetown, number 13, St. Joseph's. Their only losses are to number six, Loyola, number 15, North Carolina, and now number one, Virginia. So Hopkins is, in fact, back, and they're playing good lacrosse and getting healthy at the right time. I think this is going to be a very good matchup in the end. I expect a solid game unless something goes off the rails for one of the teams. I have a feeling if anything goes off the rails, it's going to go off the rails for Syracuse before it'll go off the rails for Hopkins. How many games can Will Mark continue to keep Cuse in them. He's bound to have a bad game. And by bad game, I'm not even talking 47%. He's bound to go out there and put up at least one or two stinkers on the year. And the game that he goes out and has that stinker is more than likely going to be a game that Syracuse loses, especially if they're playing against a quality opponent here overall. Uh, so for this one, let's go group by group. Let's try to kind of figure out for my own sanity how I think Syracuse is going to match up in this one. On offense, 
edge to Syracuse only because they've been forced to be as efficient as any team in the nation. They're not getting a lot of possessions overall. They're losing faceoffs, and then the defense is allowing drawn-out possessions. Even though Will Mark is saving their asses most of the time, they, these are long possessions, often with shot clock resets that result in two, three shots at a time, especially in that Duke game. I mean, Duke went on probably they had a, at least a few possessions that were hanging in the area of two to three minutes, which is unheard of in the shot clock era. So I give the edge to Syracuse because they've been doing the most with the fewest amount of possessions overall. And uh, when you can continue to score goals and be in, be in games despite not getting the ball, what will happen in a game where you're winning 50% of the draws or so? I like what will happen for them. Now, Angelus has been great, 5-17, and 17, but the rest of the squad has been inconsistent, partly due to injuries, whereas Syracuse has more balance and in, in depth in their scoring. Uh, so, This episode is brought to you by Hyperice, the leader in advanced warm-up and recovery technology. They have tons of innovative products, like Venom-heated wearables to help soothe sore back muscles, Normatec compression boots to speed up recovery and increase circulation, and Hypervolt massage guns to improve mobility. Loved by athletes like Naomi Osaka and Erling Holland. Try them yourself. Get 10% off your order with the code MOVE at hyperrice.com. Edge to Syracuse offensively slightly. Defense, edge to Hopkins. The Syracuse defense has not been bad considering... Uh, the amount of time that they end up having to play defense. They've been physical. Uh, they're contesting shots. But Hopkins, I think, has some quality midfielders, and I feel they're going to expose the Syracuse defensive midfield where I think Syracuse has been the weakest. I think the long poles for Cuse have held up well, but the D-mids have struggled. They get beat all over the field. They played much better. My caveat is they played much better against Duke. They did a much better job of not getting thrashed all over the field. So if that defensive midfield unit can play that well against Hopkins, I like our chances. If not, we could get a little bit thrashed overall. Goalies, easy. Edge to Syracuse and Will Mark. Not that Marcel hasn't been good, and the backup came in and played well as well uh, while he was spelling Marcel. Uh, but once again, despite the fact I think Mark has the edge in cage, one of these days he's going to have a bad outing, so we just hope that it's not this game overall. Uh, I still like Mark. I assume that we have to. I think that we have to assume he's going to play well until he doesn't. But do not front on Marcel; he can get hot in the dome as well. Faceoffs and special teams easy. Edge Hopkins, both Dunn and Callahan have been far better than uh, Johnny uh, Ricusa has been for Syracuse thus far. So you can see this one. I think by the end it looks like it's going to be a pretty good matchup. My prediction, and this is just me going completely off heart. I have no conviction in this. I'm not even using my brain to really try to weigh the odds. My prediction is Cuse by one goal, partly because they have to win this game by one goal. If Cuse doesn't win this game, I think that this that pretty much nukes their chances of making the NCAA tournament. And let me just kind of show you why. You know, th that'll be counted maybe as a slight quality win, but Vermont's got to keep winning for that to happen. These two wins are just about worthless in terms of the RPI. These losses don't hurt them bad so long as they pick up some wins against some good teams. So you pick up a win against the Hopkins, and from there they don't even have a chance to get another quality win until they get into ACC play and then have Princeton on the docket. So their chances to pick up quality wins are gone. You know, Let's say 
not gone, but their chance to get a quality win is going to be extremely difficult because the only teams that they're going to end up playing from here on out are going to be top 15 teams other than Hofstra, St. Bonaventure, and Hobart. They should win all those games, and they, they need to win all those games, but they're not going to be enough to get them into the tournament. They've got to win this game here. I think if they lose to Hopkins, that it's probably all she wrote. Because even if they pick up a couple of upsets in here, the way this team has played at the faceoff dot, the way they're really stressing uh, Will Markout and Cage, I just it's going to be a hard stretch here. Once they get past Hobart, these five games are against killers, every one of them. You know, I think their their best chance for a win across these games here end up being against maybe Carolina and Princeton. But you know, even though they played Duke tough, I still think Duke's a bunch of killers, and it'll be a different story on the road down there. So that's my story. Other games. Uh, that we can watch. We got some games tonight. Jacksonville playing UMass Lowell, Drexel and Villanova tonight. The big game tonight is going to be St. Joseph's hosting Penn. I will be tuning in for that at 8 o'clock. An 8 o'clock faceoff is pretty late, but that'll kind of be dope. Late night Wednesday lacrosse. And then, like I said, Friday, we already talked about Duke Loyola. No good games here. Army's going to wax um, Lafayette and uh, Hampton's playing Wabash. I don't even know what the hell Wabash is. Wabash cannot be a Division One team, right? Division three team. I do not know why Hampton has a Division three team on their schedule, but that is the case here. Uh, Saturday's games, the ones we didn't talk about that I think will be worthy. Uh, I think Delaware will put it on Monmouth, but they'll have that. It'll just we need Delaware to continue to show that they can actually ball. They had that loss. Oh no, they beat UMBC, and UMBC is a very good defensive team, and they beat them last night. That was one of the games that won me some money last night, so thank God for that. But yeah, their schedule, they got Monmouth. That's a, a, a game off. They should be able to win that easily, but then they've got Hopkins, and they get into their CAA play after that, and the CAA play will not be easy. Now everyone's going to be like, hey, look at Monmouth is 4-1. This is going to be a great game for them, but you look at who Monmouth has played. They got waxed by Princeton, and they've played pretty much nobody since then. So, yeah, that game, probably worth watching. Uh, let's see here. We got Michigan-Harvard. That one will be interesting. Drexel and St. Joseph's. Uh, anything else that's worth it? Brown at North Carolina. That should be a good game. Brown kind of counted down and out early, but they've been playing better lacrosse over the last week or two. Yeah, you see they lost to Quinnipiac. That was where everyone was like, what the fuck is up with Brown? And then they roll off wins against Providence, Vermont, which is a big one, and then they beat a decent Stony Brook team as well. But that Vermont win looks good for them. So Brown, they'll be looking to scrap against UNC on Saturday. Navy-Colgate, that's a Patriot League battle. Those are usually better than expected, and Navy's going to be playing at Colgate. Uh, did we, t we talked about Princeton and Rutgers, Boston U, Bucknell. I like Boston U in that one for damn sure. Maryland, I didn't talk about it because I figure Maryland's going to roll, but Maryland is playing at U Albany. I like Maryland in that one for sure. I just didn't talk about it because I figure Maryland's probably going to win by a margin the, where, the way they're playing. One I should have talked about here, UMass uh, is playing at Vermont. That should be a good game, and that's going to be the big test here for Vermont. Vermont did pick up a big win against Boston U. That was huge, but then they get waxed by Brown. They lose to Harvard. So, you know, that loss to Syracuse, not great for them either. So they're sitting at two and three, but now they got UMass here. If they can beat UMass, that's putting themselves to, that's making them look really good. And it doesn't hurt Syracuse's RPI chances either. And then after that, they start getting into their America East play. I still think Vermont's going to win the America East, but I don't think it's going to be easy. Uh, we talked about Villanova and Penn. 
Uh, Virginia is going to beat up on Towson at home, and then no Sunday games this weekend, which is pretty crazy here. Uh, I'm gonna, I gotta, you know, get out of here. Like I said, the norovirus could be knocking on my door. Even I felt a little bit weird this morning. The wife is currently laying in bed, probably about ready to puke her brains out. I'm going to close with two things here. I've been getting in a Twitter war, and something I wanted to, I, I try to avoid Twitter wars, but what I get weirded out by, and I understand I'm doing the same thing I'm complaining about, but as I get annoyed by just people taking things out of context and getting butt hurt. I don't know this Adam Levi guy. I don't know Adam Levi sports at all. Uh, I don't think I follow him. Maybe I do. I probably will, though. I bet you he puts out good content related to the NLL. But all these people getting butt hurt over Paul Rabel talking when he talk when Paul Rabel talks about pro lacrosse, he's talking about the pro lacrosse that he plays and knows, and he owns a pro lacrosse league. So when Paul Rabel talks about being the all-time leading scorer in pro lacrosse, I'm not a Paul Rabel fan. I, I, I actually I'm not a big fan at all of the Rabel brothers. I you know I, they annoy me, you know, and I, I don't give a shit. Like they're they're dope. They do dope things. I respect their hustle and everything like that. I'm just not fans of the Rabels. But I am going to defend the Rabels because I think this is one of the stupidest things I've ever heard. If Paul Rabel says he's the all-time leading scorer in pro lacrosse, you know damn well what he means. You know he means he's the all-time leading scorer in pro field lacrosse. Yes, he played in the NLL. I think he put up like 100 points or something like that in the NLL. But everyone who's an NLL fan is taking this statement here as being a fact. This is the move. I'm going to read this here. This is the move I've used to break the all-time pro lacrosse scoring record. Rabel scored 657 points between the MLL and Premier Lacrosse. He scored 161 points in the NLL for a total of 818 pro lacrosse points. As of this tweet, 24 NLL players have scored more than 818 points. He's trying to claim he's just spitting facts. What he's doing is he's cherry-picking data to prove his point because he doesn't like Paul Rabel. This is the most asinine thing that I see is guys getting butthurt about this, trying to compare NLL point totals to Premier Lacrosse or MLL point totals. Now, I, I don't know for sure, but I believe the NLL plays more games in each season than the PLL does now for sure. I believe that the NLL games are longer than the PLL games traditionally were. Uh, the NLL games, you have less people on the field offensively trying to put those points up. So, you know, where you have six offensive guys on a field lacrosse field trying to put point, points up, you only have five. Like, these are two completely different sports. I, I don't, I'm not a pro lacrosse fan. Everybody who watches me and follows me knows I'm not a big fan of pro lacrosse. I watch the PLL and the NLL about the same, and when I watch them, I enjoy them. Uh, I'm a college guy, though. What I just think is stupid and ingenuine is this douche here is sitting here saying, I'm sorry, Adam Levi. I should not have called him a douche. I really don't think he's a douche at all. I don't know who the hell he is for the most part. But it's very ingenuine for him to try to pretend that he's spitting facts and all that crap when the facts matter and the context of the, that data matters. And you, you're comparing apples to oranges. You're, these aren't the same sports. Box across is different than field lacrosse, greatly different, all right? And I'll give the NLL this, and this is one of the points I tried to make in this argument where I'm just getting chirped incessantly by Canadians all willy-nilly because they're all like, you know, fuck field lacrosse, fuck Paul Rabel, he hates the NLL, and blah, blah, blah. It's like, and then they're trying to make it sound like this point here is so salient that I'm a moron for not agreeing. The kicker is, two different sports, totally different styles, fewer people on one field than on the other field trying to fight for that point pool, all of these things. So to say, to try to compare point totals for these NLL guys 
to the point totals for field lacrosse guys is crazy to, you know, Hanlon's razor applies. Don't attribute malice to anything where like, let's say stupidity could be just as likely of a, of a reason for him saying what he's saying. I don't think Rabel's being stupid. I don't even think Rabel's purposely trying to inflame anyone. Although I know I would, if a bunch of people kept taking my words out of context and getting all butthurt about it, but this has to stop people. Box lacrosse is incredible. Field lacrosse is incredible. There is Ace, there we like in pro lacrosse. We do have one pro lacrosse league that is extremely successful that puts fans in the seats for every game and that operates often in the black. And then we have the PLL. So, I mean, I think that it's people are being ingenuine and just choosing to get butt hurt. As they say, nobody likes to be butt hurt more than white men uh, this day and age. And I don't think that's really true. I think everybody likes to get butt hurt. There's just a hell of a lot more white men running around on social media uh, to show that, hey, we're get, we get butt hurt too. So I'm butt hurt that they're butt hurt. I understand the oddness in that. But man, it just annoys me listening to grown men complain about things like that. That they're, where they're purposely, I, I don't know that he's purposely taking everything out of context, but he's certainly a little bit sensitive. He's, he's, his mother would tell you he's a sensitive boy. He's a very good boy. And uh, I just think he's being ingenuine. Uh, albeit, hey, it's, you know, I, I think he's an American and I live in America and you're right. You have a complete and utter right to get butt hurt and to state that. Just don't expect for people to always agree with you. And I do like to argue here and there. So I'm going to argue that point. So I don't know. That's my rant here. I'm going to get the hell out of here. I see my daughter was uh, off to the left. I'm wondering if my wife is uh, uting, currently puking from her ankles. So we'll see how that goes. So that's it. Come back Sunday for the recap show. Uh, as always, be sure to like, subscribe, share the crap out of the podcast. Go to laxfactor.com to support us that way. We can take care of your team gear needs. You can get yourself some swag t-shirts and all that crap as well, or just watch our videos and all that. So thank you for watching. Thank you for listening. And Hoost is out. Factor Podcast.